Haley. You were reading along with BJ in the book of Romans. We're going to continue our study through the book of Romans uh, over the next couple of weeks. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that as we have gotten to uh, chapter 14, now the book of Romans, that we are in the, what I call the now what section of Romans. That uh, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans was the gospel laid out. And uh, as Paul got to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, uh, he makes this transition. And he tells us that based on the gospel, based on all that we're heard, that our response is to lay down ourselves, to lay down our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And so now, through the rest of this book, pretty much what Paul is doing is laying out this, now what? And, and one of the marks, if you remember back to a couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at, uh, in chapter 13, verses 8 through uh, 14, uh, but last time that I preached in Romans, that this is what we hit on, and in verse 8, we looked at, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And if you remember, we talked about this command to love one another and to love your neighbor was kind of a global command, a big command. In other words, we defined neighbor uh, very broadly in the context of how I think it's uh, defined here in the book of Romans and defined by uh, Jesus, especially uh, in the story of the Good Samaritan. Today, as we enter back into the book of Romans, and as we enter into chapter uh, 14, we're going to be looking, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at disagreements within the church. Now, this never happens. I know that, you know, uh, you never hear of church arguments and church fights, and the church never splits uh, over issues. But just in case that may happen somewhere in the future, uh, I think it's good that Paul... Uh, lays out here to us in this text how we are to go about over disagreements. Now, we're going to look at a certain type of disagreement this morning, but what I want you to see is what Paul is doing as he's writing this, this letter to the church at Rome. He's still talking about this theme, love, and he's bringing this into now from broad and narrow to into the church at Rome. Now, what we're going to see, um, what we're going to see, and what we're going to jump into and look at is that love and getting along and agreement should rule the day in the church if the disagreement is over secondary issues. Okay, so let me restate that. Love and agreement. And getting along, and we could add a whole lot of other words in there, building one another up, all sorts of other words, should rule the day in God's church, even amongst disagreement, if the disagreement is what I'm going to call secondary issues. And we will define a lot of things this morning, so just bear with me. But today, basically what we're going to do is we're going to see why Paul can say that. So we're going to kind of get the big picture. And then several weeks after that, we're going to talk about Paul's going to 
take us through what are the implications of that. So how, how does that practically work itself out? And so today, we're not going to necessarily dig into the practicality, but we're going to see what it is that Paul is saying, and we're going to see the, the, the big picture of that before we dive into over the next couple of weeks um, how to do that specifically. So the first thing that we have to do, and we have to understand, we will not understand this text correctly if we don't look at this text and see what is the situation what in the world is going on here and and what we see is that there is a debate in the church and it's threatening the fellowship and the communion of the brothers and sisters at Rome now where I want to warn us at the very beginning because I hear this all the time one of the things that the world is screaming at us um, and ironically at times, the world is screaming at us, is that one of the highest principles and one of the highest priorities of mankind should be unity. And in some ways, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Now, what's interesting about the world screaming that at us is that it wants unity, but what it really means by that is it wants you to take its side on some issues that the Bible would say we can't, take, we can't be unified over these certain things. And so one of the warnings is I'm talking this morning about um, Paul telling us to, to love one another and not to judge one another and not to hold one another in contempt. And he's talking about unity within the body even when there are disagreements. There is a danger, there is a ditch, and Paul does not go into this ditch. And, and the ditch that where the danger is is... In compromising truth, Paul's not, we're going to see, Paul's not talking this morning about an issue where biblical truth, biblical doctrine, the gospel is at stake. He's also not talking about this morning a sin. And I could ask you, and you could tell me, but I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Does Paul let doctrinal issues that threaten the integrity of God's Word slide in the church? No. You only have to go to the book of Galatians and you see Paul say things like, who has bewitched you? In the, in the, in the book of Galatians, Paul also talks about that when Peter was misunderstanding uh, the gospel and how it related to the Gentiles, that Paul says what? I approached him behind his back and got a little coup and we... Talked about him? No, Paul says, I approached him to his face to tell him he was wrong about this issue. Paul is also not light on sin. You may recall the the letter to the church at Corinth where there was a man that was in an egregious sin and the church wasn't dealing with it. And Paul said, oh, you know, let's just get along with this man. Let's just leave him alone. No, what does Paul say? Paul says... We are going to turn this one over to Satan in hopes that his soul might be saved. Now, what I want you to hear, in all of this, in all of this, Paul is wanting repentance. Paul is searching for unity. But Paul is not going to compromise the truth. Paul is not going to compromise doctrine. He's not going to compromise on sin issues. And we must never compromise there either. So, What we're not talking about this morning when we look into this issue that is separating people here at the Church of Rome, we're not looking at um, something that has to do with core doctrine. 
or sin or the gospel or, or clear violations of the word. Now, lest you, think, um, lest you think our world doesn't operate this way, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, and I'm not going to name names this morning, but you can look it up and find it yourself. But the, one of the major mainline denominations, Protestant denominations, this next week will potentially split in half over core doctrinal biblical issues. And, and I want you to hear me say, if, if things hold true the way that I think it's going to hold true within that denomination, I think a split is right and just. And I think one side will be clearly in violation of Scripture and in sin, and the other side will be standing for biblical truth. And I, I think it's projected that that's probably what's going to happen this next week. But what I want you to see is that's not what is going on here in this church. And let me just read a couple of verses that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, but that demonstrate this. First in verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Verse 19. So then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And in 15 verse 2, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. And so Paul, is. we see by the language he uses that we're talking about something completely different. So, what in the world is going on uh, here in this church or to these brothers and sisters in Rome. And so let's read the first five verses and kind of walk through and see what's going on. Paul says, and starting in verse 1, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, I, I don't know why this kind of makes me smile. Maybe because I've seen this done in horrible ways of kind of inviting someone to lunch and paying for their lunch and being real nice to them just for the purpose of kind of smacking them around a little bit. But Paul is saying, look, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. That's an important word. It says, one person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, you could say if he added more meat to his diet, he wouldn't be weak. That's not what the text is saying. Just seeing if y'all are paying attention. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. So, what you have going on here is that you have one group of people who Paul is calling the weaker brother who is saying that we only eat vegetables only. And this same group or this same weaker brother, not only is he saying this, but later we saw in verse 5 that he is esteeming or looking at certain days uh, as more holy or important than other ones. And so in other words, we see that he, is, he has gone back, he's gone back and looked at the law and kind of have come out, and, and this is, there's a little bit of conjecture here, but I want to 
say why I believe this is the case. But he's, he's gone out and, he's, and what he's saying is, is that me doing these things makes me a better Christian. And what I think is going on is I think that these are, this, these are Jewish believers. I'm not saying all Jewish believers, but I think these are Jewish believers. Certainly this is not the same argument that we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 where the, the debate is over eating meat that it was what? Sacrifice to idols. We have no mention of that in here. In fact, we have this flavor that runs throughout. Uh, should, uh, that's a pun, right? Whit? There we go. This flavor that runs throughout when it's talking about these meat and drink issues. But notice, notice that the, in, in chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, as Paul is ending this section, notice all of a sudden out of the blue what words he uses. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, to the Jews, on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy. Not only that, but we'll see next week that as Paul continues this argument in chapter 14, verse 14, he says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And the words that are used here in this text are words that were used for Jewish dietary laws of unclean and common things. And even just the fact that the debate is over food and days should draw to mind, if you have read your Old Testament, laws and regulations that we find there. And so potentially, potentially, not only is this a conflict over eating and not eating, but potentially in this text, this could be a Jew-Gentile conflict where brothers in the Lord are taking sides and they're, they're treating each other poorly. And so Paul is coming in and he's, he's saying, no, we're going we're gonna to handle, I'm going to lay out how to deal with this conflict. And so I think that the weak brother are Jews who are going back to the law and they're being over-cautious. They're over-estimating or they're over-analyzing uh, Leviticus chapter 11. And they feel stronger, even though Paul is calling them weak in faith, they feel more godly because of the stance they are taking. And clearly, the strong, the strong brother in this text is the one who recognizes that eating or drinking will not defile or uh, elevate or decline your status in the kingdom of God. And so that's the layout of the land. <laughs> that's the layout of the land. Now, we can't miss this. We can't miss this. A wrong reading of this text would be to simply look at uh, dietary laws and try to come away with some kind of theology to maybe go talk to your Seventh-day Adventist friends about or whatever. Uh, th there may be something there, but a wrong reading of this text would look at that. Paul is doing something different that I want you to see. Paul is, Paul is, 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 is leaning in, and what Paul is saying is that Paul is saying secondary issues, secondary issues should not divide us. 
Notice that Paul is not coming in and saying the weaker brother is sinning. Nowhere in this text do we see that the weaker brother is sinning. I think we read this into the text sometimes because uh, as people, we like things to be black or white. And Paul is talking about something different here. And so um, I, I don't think the weak brother is a, is a legalist. Um, I think Paul would have hit that square in the head like he did again in the book of Galatians. I don't think the weaker brother is sinning. Paul does not correct the weaker brother's behavior in this text. So it's interesting here because Paul is also not neutral. <laughs> Did you notice that? Even Paul using the words weak and strong means that Paul weighs in and kind of has an opinion, but he doesn't go so far as to say, hey, eat the meat. Notice also in chapter 15, verse 1, Paul says this. Now, what's the word? We who are strong. Paul throws himself into the camp as one of the strong. But again, he doesn't say, eat the meat. All Paul had to do to end the conflict was to say, eat the meat. So why doesn't Paul do this? What in the world is Paul doing here? And I think what Paul is doing, I'm convinced that what Paul is doing is that Paul is laying out a framework for the church in how to handle conflict on secondary or non-essential issues that can be used over and over again throughout the church's history. Because... One of the things that you can rest assured is that if there are a group of Christians together, there is going to be differing opinions. I don't know how long it would take, but I bet, especially given my position and conversations I have uh, throughout the week and throughout my life, because people know I'm a preacher, I bet I could get a pretty good argument stirred up pretty quickly in here this morning. And I will in a minute. So there's always going to be opinions. And, and I think Paul knows this. There's always going to be weaker brothers and stronger brothers in the body. There's always going to be debate. And so what Paul is doing is he wants to come in and he wants to lay down these principles of how we should handle this. The other thing, and I want you to hear me clear on what I mean by this. I, I think that the Holy Spirit inspired this because the Bible is not exhaustive to deal with every imaginable situation that could ever come up. And we'll talk about some of those in a minute. That's not the purpose of why the Bible was written, is to give us every possible solution to every possible problem that you may face in your life. It informs these things, but it doesn't give us all the solutions. So Paul, instead of going in and seeing this conflict and just being heavy-handed and coming in and saying, hey, here's what you should do, what he's doing is he's saying, hey, neither one of you groups are sinning, but I'm going to give you a platform. I'm going to give you a platform on how to get along. Now, we're going to jump back into this in a minute. But I'm going to tell you how I was going to start my sermon this morning. <laughs> and then Gary scared me. Gary, uh, and I forget the conference he said that he was conducting. He was at a conference one time, and uh, he and the guy doing the conference uh, 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 
forget what he was talking about, but essentially, before it could get around to that he was just trying to make a point and he didn't really feel this way, that uh, three-quarter or a quarter of the audience had left. And so he's like, oh, you know. So I, here's how I was going to start our church this morning. I was going to start this morning by talking about the value of sending your child to a private Christian school. My children go to, or my younger children have gone to Signal Mountain Christian School. I'm on the board, and I was going to lay out the foundation of how good godly parents send their kids to Christian schools. That could cause a little bit of a debate, right? I also thought about starting the sermon off by, uh, with a lot of stories about being with some of you as you all uh, enjoyed a beer with the meal that you ate with me. Another debatable issue within the church <laughs> that can run people off. The problem, here's the problem. There are secondary issues that we allow to divide us, to create division, to separate us. And in a city like Chattanooga that has as many churches as we have, I think a problem is is that you can find churches that are, agree on the gospel, but this is where all the people who send their kids to Christian schools go. This is where all the kids, this is all the families who have decided that public school is the way to go. This is where all the families who have decided homeschool is the way to go. Or this is the church of Jesus Christ who likes to have a beer every once in a while. And this is the church that you can never have a beer if you attend here, right? And the problem, the problem that arises out of some of this is that as Christians, sometimes we're never forced to learn how to get along even when we may not agree on secondary issues. And so there's, we never learn this, and so the world views us rightfully as kind of crusty, judgmental. You know, the mercy and the grace that Kurt talked about this morning, they don't see that in our lives except for when we're singing. And so I think this is a a big deal. I don't think this is a small deal. I think this is a big deal about what this communicates to one another and what it creates, communicates to the world. And Paul is concerned about this and he gives us, he gives us some framework to how to handle this type of conflict. And we see it right from the beginning. Accept the one who is weak in faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Accept the one who is weak in faith. As we go on down, notice this. The one who eats, the weak brother, is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And so you have this brother who is convinced in his own mind that 
Abstaining from meat is important and is important in his spiritual walk. And what Paul is telling him is this. He says, hey, listen, don't despise those who don't hold the same opinion as you. And you said, Lewis, opinion? Verse 1, last word, opinion. Don't despise that one. Don't hold that brother in contempt. Don't look down upon him. So the strong, don't despise, don't hold in contempt. Weak, don't judge that person as less godly. Why or how can we do this? Notice again in verse 3, as he's talking, weak, don't do this, strong, don't do this. For, when we say that word for, it, it, it's signifying, it's the, the purpose for this, or the ground for this is coming after this. And notice, For God has accepted him. In other words, what Paul is saying is that there can be disagreements over secondary issues and the person in whom we disagree with, we need to look at that person as accepted and loved and cherished by God. Instead of, many times I think what we do, looking at that person as... Uh, not as godly as we are, or a work in progress, which is true, but we shouldn't treat people that way. And then notice what quickly arises, and here comes the theme in verse 4. Notice this. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls. In other words, your brother or your sister in the faith, you are not their master because you think you've got some kind of opinion or knowledge that they don't have. Their master is the Lord, and so who are you to judge them as if you were their master? And notice this, and I love this. To his own master, who is God, he stands or falls. And that is a a word of uh, of judgment, kind of final judgment. And then notice these comforting words. Again, Paul is not saying that either one of these brothers is in sin for the opinions they hold. It says, and he will stand. And why will he stand? Because his opinions were so right? No, look at this. And this is good news for all of us. He will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Not the judging brother. Not the criticizing brother. Not because of the opinions on secondary issues. But because God will make His people stand. Brother and sister, if you are a believer, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have if you have leaned on Him for your salvation, if you have recognized that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and have flown to Jesus and asked for His mercy, God will make you stand. And this is encouraging and comforting words, and we could, I could keep going there, but, but I need to get through. So, we fellowship and we love one another We don't attack, we don't judge, we don't criticize, knowing that God is the ultimate judge and He is at work in our lives. 
And you may say, how in the world can Paul say this? And look at verse 6. He who observes the day. So, so the key here is the motivation on secondary, non-primary issues. That's important to keep. You see how we could fall in a ditch. He who observes the day, notice his motivation for doing so. He observes it for the Lord. And he who eats, so these were the opposites, does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And he who gives thanks, and he and gives thanks to God. Now, practically, I'm gonna I'm gonna enter back in my school debate, and you're gonna say, Oh, Lewis. And I want to show you how this can practically play itself out. You understand that those verses I just read, that Paul is saying that the motivation for these practices of abstaining or from eating or that sort of thing, that the reason that they can't be judged is because these people are doing, their motivation is the glory of God. They're doing so under the mastery of God. And so I want to go back to the school issue. And so here's the deal. If somebody comes in my office and they tell me this, they're saying, Lewis, look, I think for me and my family, as I've been praying about this, that I think that God can get the most glory if I send my children to Christian school. That I want them, I'm going to give you the reasonings that I hear, I want them to early on get the foundation from somebody outside the home and to develop a Christian worldview through math, the sciences, this sort of thing. You'll hear me say, Amen. Glorify God in that decision. If somebody comes to me and says, Lewis, um, we have made the decision to send our child to public school for the glory of God because we think that Christians should not abandon the public school, that there need to be Christians in those schools, there need to be Christian kids and Christian families in those schools to be salt and light for the glory of God, you will hear me say, Amen. No problem. If you hear me say, if, you, if I have somebody come into my office and say, Hey, Lewis, we have decided to homeschool our kids because we feel like that we want to be um, over their education and know the ins and outs of that and help determine and steer that at every path, this sort of thing, and we think this is what God would have us do for, the, for His glory, you will hear me say, Amen. The problem becomes... The problem becomes... In a debate like that, when we begin to judge one another because of school choices and what God is saying here, what the text tells us is in situations like this, if the motivation is for the glory of God, we are to not judge one another or despise one another or hold each other in contempt. Can you have your opinions? Yes. Should you be able to talk about your opinions? Yes. Great. Fantastic. What this text is not saying is that you can't talk about these things. But don't, but don't accept one who is weak for the purpose of passing judgment. So don't trap them into that. Now, it also doesn't mean, and one of the things that I want you to see it also doesn't mean that every issue within a church body is resolvable. Did you pick that up? Paul is not... I, 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 think, I think if we sat down with Paul in heaven and we said, all right, Paul, let's talk about what was going on at the Church of Rome. Like, let's just, you know, let's just be clear here. Like, that was resolvable. 
I think Paul would have said, yeah, I could have just told him not to eat the meat. But again, there was something more important going on, and I want to I pose to you, because nobody here has apostolic authority, <laughs> I want to pose to you that there are going to be many issues and are issues that arise here and among us that may not be resolvable because we can't go to a text and say, hey, thus saith the Lord. Send your childeth to Signal Mountain Christian School. Great Christ-centered education for life. I'm not going to go there. But do you understand what I mean? Not every issue is resolvable. And one of the things that we have to learn is that when we take it through that grid of, is this a sin issue? Is this a core doctrinal issue? Is this a gospel issue? If those things come back, no, we've got to learn to love one another and get along with one another and be able to hold one another and walk with one another. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to, Paul's going to, in my mind, amazes me with how he tells us to, to uh, practically live this out. But, again, that is next week. And so, today, we're just ending with this big picture and I want you to know that we need to feel free on secondary issues to have different opinions. And the key here is not to break the fellowship or to sin against a brother because of his opinions. So don't break fellowship because so-and-so doesn't eat the meat. And, and I'll tell you, the, the, so you know how things get in my head and then I can't shake it. I have recently, over the past three weeks, uh, met a friend, a dear man, uh, just, have, just even over the past couple of weeks, has just grown to love this man, a pastor of a Seventh-day Adventist church. And you know that my sinful self, as I'm reading this, I'm like, I need to tuck this passage away because I need to go talk to him. Lewis, you know, um, <laughs> don't pass judgment on this brother. Don't break fellowship because didn't eat the meat or never drank alcohol or I was more restful than you on Sunday. No, no. We claim the blood of Christ. We claim that our goal and our life goal is to bring glory to God. We admit that while we can never fully live to the glory of God like we would like to, it's our aim and our purpose to do so. And we do so by loving one another and uniting with one another. And we stand confidently together knowing that through our imperfections, He has caused us to stand. And the implications for this, we see here at the end of the text. Verse 10, But you, why did you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one will give an account of himself to God. Another way of saying this, I think, is that you're, you're not going to be asked to give an account of what your brother ate or drank but you may be asked to give an account for how you treated that brother because of what he ate or drank. You see the implication of that in this text? So, 
As we close, again, next week we will get into some more practical issues. But what I want to ask you this morning, and just two, two things to close real quick. But one, I think we can't get away from this text without really looking at our heart. That's what Paul is driving at here. Are there areas in your life where you are holding someone in contempt or you are judging someone else because of secondary issues that may be causing divisions within family, church, locally, or the global body of Christ? And I would ask you to pray through that and pray through this passage and be able to learn to give that over to God. And and part of that comes with knowing that you are not your brother's... uh, uh, keeper, you're not your brother's God, you're not his master, and know that if this brother is doing what he's doing because of his convictions under the Lord, and they're not sin, and they're not doctrinal issues, they're not major things, then what you need to do is turn that over, and then you need to start coming back so that we know how do we love these brothers and sisters, which we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks. But also, And I think in our day and age, this is, I can't go on without saying this, and then we'll close after this, is that you may need help knowing what is and isn't a secondary issue. I've I've acted like it's pretty simple, but sometimes it's not quite that simple. Because our world tells us what? Everything is a secondary issue. And so I think that the uh, the world's doctrine has infiltrated the church and so sometimes it's very difficult for us to to know what is a secondary issue because on one hand we want to say everything and then on the other hand we get so protective because of this that we overreact and we say everything's a gospel issue what do you mean Gary wears a tie on Sunday morning that is weak oh did I say that out loud So you may need help figuring that, and, and, and I just want to say, you know, we, we as, as elders of this church would love to help you walk through that. And so I think identifying that in your heart, and then if you've got those questions, please, we would love to talk to you about that. Again, next week, it'll get more and more challenging, especially if this situation is going on in your life. And so I'm excited about what God can do through passages like this that call us to unity and love towards one another. Let's pray.